Good morning. Greetings in the worthy name of the Lord Jesus. Again this morning to each of you, thank you for coming. One of those mornings where it uh, might have felt fairly comfortable at home in the living room, huh? But thank you for coming out, even though we gathered an hour later than normal. You're like me, you like when things stay kind of on schedule, and and this morning we just needed to adjust a little bit. So, thank you, thank you, Ethan, for the lesson for the children. Um, that would be a little interesting if you had a house with just mirrors. And no windows. I think we all would get kind of tired of look, seeing ourselves after a while, wouldn't we? <clears throat> well, it's um, it's the second Sunday in January here. Kind of a the beginnings of a new year. I guess we're nine days into it now. For most of last year, for those of you who are regular here, I was just preaching from the book of 1 John. We didn't quite get that all wrapped up. Um, we didn't get to chapter 5 at all. Uh, we didn't do the beginning of chapter 4, though we did the last two-thirds of chapter 4. I am going to change, shift gears, and move on. Not that uh, there wouldn't have been more in First John to get, uh, though there is some repetition in First John. There are a few subjects that we actually didn't address or talk about, but I think I'm going to, at this time, move on and uh, preach on various subjects. Um, today's subject is actually on the, on the topic of discouragement. The um, the way I, the way I uh, came to this subject, I uh, started here at the beginning of the year, uh, listening, reading through the New Testament or or through the Bible in a chronological order, and uh, so we uh, I didn't get more than a few days into it, and uh, we end up in the life of Job. And in Job chapter 3, it kind of struck me that Job seemed to be discouraged. And uh, that's where the subject began to develop in my heart and uh, kind of the basis from which I began to think about and ponder this subject. So, that is... uh, that is where we're going today. I feel like I have more content than I normally do, so I don't know if we actually get it all covered. Uh, I'm not going to squeeze it and push it. I'm going to simply uh, trust that we develop another message if we don't seem to be able to get all of it covered. See how it goes. <clears throat> so, 
Let's uh, begin this morning by turning to Psalm chapter 42. I titled today's message, Why Am I Discouraged? And I suppose, um, well, I I know that discouragement is something that I'm pretty confident I can say that every one of us have faced some of it at some time. Some of us has faced more of it than others. And there's various reasons for that. If I remember, I'll, I'll give some of those reasons toward the end. But if we were able somehow to uh, gather up all the uh, um, times of discouragement that we faced in our life and we're somehow able to bring them up here and put them on a pile... I guess my my uh, my opinion, my thought would be that my pile would probably be one of the bigger piles. Um, I probably have faced my fair share of discouragement. So, as I uh, share this message, I'm not here particularly to. Uh, speak to you alone, but also encourage my own heart. So Psalm 42, and I think I'll just read that psalm. It's not real lengthy, at least part of it. As the heart pendeth after the water brooks, so pendeth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? Before God, my tears have been my meat day and night while they continually say unto me, where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that keep kept holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites and from the hill of Mizar. Deep calleth unto deep. And at the noise of thy water spouts, all thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me. And my prayer unto God, unto the God of my life. I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me. While they, they daily, while they say daily unto me, Where is thy God? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I have yet, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. <clears throat> I suppose we 
all recognize the the thoughts that are expressed there in some of these verses. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? In our language today, we might uh, we would probably say, "Why am I discouraged? Uh, why art thou cast down?" To be cast down simply means to sink or to depress, to bend or bow low. Uh, disquieted, disquieted gives just a little bit of a different idea. It's it's. Uh, it speaks a bit more of uh, of an inward groaning, uh, of uh, of an inward role, uh, uh, inward conflict. Uh, gives more the idea of of uh, because of the soul groaning because of that inward conflict, and. Uh, uh, so, yeah, why, uh, cast down and disquiet it. In today's English, we would say discouraged, most likely. Uh, why am I discouraged? The word discouraged simply means to take away the courage or confidence of, to destroy the hopes of, to dishearten. Sometimes we say it this way, uh, we don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. We uh, we don't see any reason to keep on going. We're discouraged. Why am I discouraged? Let's uh, let's look at a few uh, examples in the Bible, and and Job is one of them. We'll look at his first. Uh, there are likely a number we could look at, but uh, Job chapter 3. Actually, we'll begin in chapter 2. Let's see. Job chapter 2, verse 7. Just to give us a context here, the, the first, those of us who are familiar with Job, the first uh, encounter where God had allowed Satan to destroy his herds and his, and lots of things like that had happened. And then we come to the second encounter, which uh, uh, Satan challenges God that, uh, Put forth in verse five of chapter two, put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So God gave Satan opportunity to afflict Job, but he did not give him opportunity to take his life. So Satan went forth. From the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his feet foot unto his crown. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal, and he sat down with among the ashes. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. 
But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did Job sin not with did in all this did not Job sin with his lips. Now when Job's three friends heard of this, all this evil that was come upon him, they came every one from his own place. And uh, I'll just read on through here. It came everyone from his own place. Elphaz from the Temanite, Bilhad the Shulite, uh, so far the Nehemite. For they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they lifted up their voice and wept, and they rent every one his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. I think we would all deduct from that that Job was in a tremendous amount of misery. Probably more than any of us can ever imagine. And then begins Job's uh, response to the situation. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed his day. And Job spake and said, Let the day perish wherein I was born, and the night which in which it was said, There is a man-child conceived. Let that day be darkness. Let not God regard it from above, neither let the light shine upon it. Let darkness and the shadow of death stain it. Let a cloud dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, let darkness seize upon it. Let it not be joined under the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the month. Lo, let that night be solitary. Let no joyful voice come therein. Let them curse it that curse the day who are ready to rise up in their morning. For the stars of the twilight thereof be dark. Let it not be, let it look for light, but have none. Neither let it see the dawning of the day. Because it shut not up the doors of my mother's womb, nor hid sorrow from mine eyes. Why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? Why did the knees prevent me? Why or why the breasts that I should suck? For now should I have lain still and been quiet. I should have slept. Then had I been at rest. I'll just read on through a bit further. With the kings and counselors, then had I been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth, which build desolate places for themselves, or with princes that had gold, who filled their houses with silver, or as a an hidden untimely birth, had I, I had not been as infants that never saw the light. And there he's talking about uh, verse 16, uh, wishing that he could have been miscarried early and never lived. There the wicked cease from troubling. There the weary be at rest. There the prisoner, prisoners rest together. They hear not the voice of the oppressor. Small and great are there, and the servant is free from the master. Wherefore is light given to him that is in misery, and life unto the bitter soul, which long for death, but it cometh not, and dig for it more than for hid treasures? Not sure how far to read there. Maybe I'll stop there for that text and then um, go down to verse 
Go to chapter 6, verse 8 to 13. So, Job gives his, his, uh, his plight there a bit of wishing he'd have never been born. Uh, and then we have a response from one of his friends in chapter 4 and uh, chapter 5. And then in chapter 6, Job responds again. Verse 8, we're going to pick up, Oh, that I might have my request, and that God would grant me the thing that I long for, even that it would please God to destroy me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. Then should I yet have comfort. Yea, I would harden myself in sorrow. Let him not spare, for I have not concealed the words of the Holy One. What is my strength that I should hope? What is mine end that I should prolong my life? Is my strength the strength of stones, is it, or is my flesh as brass? Is not my help in, is not my help in me, and is wisdom driven quite from me? To him that is afflicted, pity should be shown from, from his friend, but he forsaketh the fear of the Almighty. Um, anyhow, there, there's a, they, they say a lot of things in these scriptures, but one thing I think we can be pretty confident of, and that is that Job was facing discouragement. Um, he was having difficulty seeing a reason to keep on going. Um, and if we were to follow it, uh, uh, all the way through, you know, there's this discourse between Job and his friends and, and all that that happens. And uh, Job, Job cursed the day that he was born. He, he uh, cons- at that point, at that stage of things, he was feeling like it would have been better to never have been born, to never have seen life uh, with what he was experiencing at that time. Um, he was uh, he was at the end of hope, you might say, uh, as far as uh, life was concerned. Now, if we jump uh, uh, ahead in the story, till we get to where things level out at the end of the book, in chapter forty-two, we, uh, if we're those of us who are familiar with the uh, with the 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 book of Job toward the end there, uh, God comes begins to speak into the situation, and uh, uh, and begins to reason with Job based on what Job was uh, uh, feeling about the whole thing, and God reasons with Job, and then we start to uh, we see Job's response then in in uh, chapter forty two. As Job responds to the things that God had to say, as God reasoned with him, and there are several things that Job responds in here, and I'll just read these few verses here. Then Job answered the Lord and said, "I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee." And then Job quotes something that God had challenged him with. There in chapter 3, the, uh, verse 3 of 42. 
Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? There, uh, God, that's a phrase that is earlier in the dialogue that God had with Job. And so Job refers to that question and then he responds to it. And I'll read the question again. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? It was God's question and Job's response. Therefore, have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. And then he quotes God or God is quoted again here. I beseech thee and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. That's that's a phrase that God had spoken to Job. And then we have Job responding to that phrase. I have heard of thee. By the hearing of my ear, of the ear, but now my eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And there we have Job's response as, uh, so Job goes through this, this grueling experience and in the middle of it, uh, we, I believe Job is a man of integrity. I, I, and uh, uh, while he faced discouragement here, uh, I don't believe it discredits Job in his life at all. Uh, for one thing, well, um, but because we see how he responded in the end. Um, he, we see how he responded. And we also see what uh, uh, we see what he learned from it. Um, so, in the middle of it, it looked dark. It looked dismal. It looked like there's no future. It looked like there's no hope. Uh, what's the reason to live? It had been better that I had never lived. But when he comes out in the end of it, he he says uh, he says I've heard of thee. By the hearing of mine ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. This encounter with God and what God allowed in his life uh, helped or gave Job the opportunity to see a dimension of God and understand it that he hadn't understood before. And uh, and his response then, as he as he comes to that understanding, is I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. <clears throat> so was Job discouraged? I uh, uh, I believe we're safe to say that Job was discouraged in that situation. But he came out, may I say, with shining colors. Um, and God actually uh, states that and, and blesses Job in the end there. All right, uh, let's go on to another biblical example. Um, and this one is found in 1 Kings. We'll go to chapter 18. Another individual who faced discouragement. Another uh, individual who God used very powerfully, but also faced a, 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 a time of discouragement. I think you're familiar with Elijah. The uh, 
the context of uh, what's happened here in, in 18 and 19 was uh, the fact that uh, a large percentage of God's people were uh, guilty of Baal worship and bowing down to Baal. And Elijah was a prophet of the day and God used him. Uh, we had the, the, the years without rain and uh, at the end of that, um, when Elijah shows on the scene again and they have the, the uh, what we call the showdown on Mount Carmel, uh, where the uh, Elijah challenges the people to uh, a showdown between Baal and God and uh, uh, challenging that the God who answers by fire is the true God and the people affirmed, yeah, yeah, they're fine with that. That sounds like a good idea and and they go ahead with the plan and uh, the uh, prophets of Baal take their turn in preparing their sacrifices and putting them on the altar and calling for Baal to send down fire and Joe, or, uh, Elijah mocks them in the middle of it and no fire comes and they cut themselves and carry on and and uh, all kinds of things to try and get fire to fall and no fire fell. <clears throat> and then after they're all done and can't get fire to fall, then then uh, Elijah prepares his offerings and and uh, gets them to dig a trench around the, the altar that they're going to put it on and they bring barrels and barrels of water and drench everything and Soak it all down and the trench is full of water and Elijah prays a prayer and the fire of God falls, burns everything up, including the water in the trench and, and all that and tremendous uh, demonstration of, uh, of the true God. Um, and we might think that... Um, after such a powerful demonstration, there shouldn't be anything that would deter a man of God from continuing on fearlessly. But we discover that that's not quite the case. Uh, so, in 18, chapter 18 of 1 Kings, verse 31, is where Elijah took and uh, prepared his, began to prepare his uh his his offering and such, and all the way through the rest of chapter 18. And then we get to, well, at the end of that, then in uh, uh, Elijah uh, had all the prophets of Baal uh, killed. And uh, and then we pick up in chapter 19 in, in verse 1 and says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So, uh, Elijah has a threat of death over his head. In 24 hours, you're going to be like one of them. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, 
which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough now, Lord, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better, not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under the, a juniper tree, behold, an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake of, baked on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat, and went, went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither out of the cave, unto the cave, unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, and he said, go. Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and a strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. <clears throat> and after, after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, a still small voice. And when Elijah saw and it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I've been jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with a sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. The Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And I think I'm going to just drop down to verse 18. He says, And yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. So there we have, uh, we have the account of Elijah. And, and again, there's no... Uh, Disputing the fact that Elijah got discouraged, um, very discouraged, despairing even of life also, a bit like Job. There's, um, it's a bit hard to refrain myself from making some of the applications that I want to make at the end, but I think I'll try to do that. <laughs> so... Again, we're just noting the fact that uh, here is another individual who faced a season of discouragement and uh, significant discouragement. Um, and in, again, it's 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 one of those things where we're just reckoning with with discouragement and what it can, how it can uh, affect us and how it can overtake us and how it can even uh, even. Uh, what we would consider some of the most significant men of God and, and Elijah being one of them. Um, let's, uh, let's consider Paul, the Apostle Paul, just for a little bit. Uh, in, I'm going to quote 
2 Corinthians 1, verse 8 and 9, and I'm going to read it in the ESV. It says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Now, I don't know. Uh, Paul does not give us a lot of... Uh, he Paul talks a lot about extremely difficult situations that he faced. Uh, lots of persecution. Lots of... He doesn't give us... Uh, a lot of a, we don't get a lot of a window into Paul's actual uh, responses. For the most part, we 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 see Paul as a person who could barely be stopped, could barely be discouraged. It didn't matter how difficult and how horrendous the situation was; it seemed like you could hardly get him down. Uh, that's the kind of picture I get when I read of Paul's life. But Paul does indicate here that there was at least a moment here and a situation here where the afflictions and difficulty were so difficult that, as he says, we despaired of life itself. Again, similar idea, almost to the point where you wondered if it's even worth keeping on living. Things are so difficult, so harrowing, perhaps, so uh, uh, challenging that you uh, begin to wonder, is is it even worth going on? Uh, seems like a little bit of that was uh, present here in Paul's uh, uh, journey. Uh, courageous a man as he was. Um, there would be other uh, uh, examples in the scripture. Uh, I, I pondered the example of Jesus a little bit there in the garden. Uh, I wouldn't... Uh, I, I, I couldn't feel comfortable in my heart to call that discouragement. But we do know that his, it says his soul was exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. What does that mean? I don't know exactly what that means. We know it was an extremely difficult time for him uh, at that point. And, uh, you know, sometimes we... We grapple with when we when it comes to Jesus, we grapple with his humanity versus his deity. You know, he was God, but he was also flesh. And uh, I, I am, I, I am persuaded. The Scripture says that he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So he faced, he felt the things we feel uh, at some point in his life. He felt them; they were there. They wanted to encroach upon him. And he he understands what that feels like, but he never sinned in those situations. But he felt what we fe- feel, what we felt. <clears throat> so that's just a few examples of, peop- of of situations where someone got discouraged. Uh, I'd like to ask the question: Why do we get discouraged? Uh, the title was: Why am I discouraged? Uh, why do we get discouraged? Now there's probably there's probably various reasons, um, and uh, like I said earlier, personalities differ. We know that, uh, and I do believe Paul was one of those personalities that actually did rarely face discouragement. And there are 
people like that today. Uh, and then there are other people whose personalities tend toward discouragement much more. Uh, we recognize that. Uh, it's just something we have to own and live with, depending on where we find ourselves. Uh, and so uh, when we talk about these things on one hand, um, you, you know, the, we all need to, wherever we find ourselves, we need to uh, find continued grace and direction and guidance and, and grow in grace in these things. But... Um, and not uh, settle down with the idea that, well, my personality is this kind of personality, so I'm just going to be a much more discouraged person. Uh, anyhow, so there's that. Another thing that uh, does affect, and I, I just want to give this up front, uh, there's personality and there's also our physical physical condition. Um, there can be... There can be chemistry issues going on in our bodies that cause discouragement. And we recognize that. And sometimes those things can be corrected and it improves our overall life experience. Uh, there can just be a simple thing like not getting enough sleep that causes you discouragement. Or there can be such a thing as jet lag. And that can cause discouragement. Uh, so just recognizing some of those things that are real issues in life and and we face them. But why do we get discouraged? You know, the biggest, uh, in general, the reason we get discouraged is something didn't turn out the way we expected or hoped. And because it didn't turn out the way we expected or hoped, we're tempted to get discouraged about the situation. In short, our expectations aren't met. Life didn't deliver what we thought it should. Um, think about Jonah. Now, he was he was actually angry. I, I think we probably can't quite just label him as discouraged there at the end of his missionary journey. <laughs> he was angry with God for not doing what God said he would do. Uh, and anyhow, uh, you know, our ex, uh, when I when we say our expectations aren't met, it could be our expectations in God. That aren't met. God doesn't come through the way we thought or hoped. That discourages us or causes discouragement. It could be our expectations in ourselves. Where we personally don't come through the way we thought we should. We don't uh, perform the way we hoped we would in a given situation. It could be our expectations in others, people around us. They don't deliver. They don't perform. They don't do what we expected or thought or hoped. Or it could be our expectations in life's circumstances, which are as varied as they come. 
You know, you are a farmer and you have a herd of cows and your cows are milking well and and you're caring for them the best you can and then some kind of a mystery disease hits them and ten cows die. Well, that was not part of your expectation. And you can get discouraged at that moment that at a significant downturn in your... So that's just examples of... of uh, of things that can happen and why do we get discouraged <clears throat> and generally generally we get discouraged because life didn't deliver what we thought it should in these various areas from God from ourselves from our fellow man and from general life's experiences and then we get discouraged. Like Proverbs 13, verse 12 says, Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. In other words, something was hoped for, something was desired, and a desired outcome, a desired end, it didn't materialize, and the heart becomes sick. (laughs) That's discouragement. A sick heart is discouragement. So the next question I like to ask is discouragement sin? I'd like to uh, give another uh, illustration here from a book that I read. I had referred to it last Sunday in uh, in uh, open mic time. I had the privilege of reading a book that took. Uh, uh, the context was Guatemala in the uh, probably the late 60s till 96 or so. So about a 30-year 60s, yeah, 30, 30 some years span of of Guatemala <clears throat> of a missionary that went to Guatemala family went as a fairly young couple with several children, went into the jungles of Guatemala where you could only get by boat up the river and ministered, poured out their lives to the villages along the river, used a boat to go up and down the river, planted various churches, uh, reached out in, the, uh, in that isolated area, uh, over that course of 20, 30 years, uh, their children grew up there with them. The mission work expanded. They, uh, eventually, they, at one time, it actually lived on a houseboat and just wandered back and forth up the river with the houseboat. But they eventually bought a piece of land and, and built a house, uh, eventually built a uh, clinic, uh, became doctor, midwife, everything to the community, um, put in a put in a small airstrip. Had a plane there. Uh, young son grew up. Had pilot's license. Was flying uh, medical cases an hour away to the capital, bigger cities, and things like that were going on. Uh, he had brought in, uh, had tapped into the heifer project. Uh, from the states, I guess, and brought down some livestock to try and help these people uh, get a healthier um, livestock uh, 
herds going and so forth. <clears throat> and then uh, part of the process was frustrated because they grow, they grow an animal and then they slaughtered and they had to eat the thing one to two days time where it's spoiled. And so it, they put in a cannery uh, to provide canning for the for the local people so that they could preserve their their meats. And all this was built in a compound area. And the context of Guatemala at that time was a there was a civil war that raged for about 30 years. There was a what is called the guerrilla group that was trying to overthrow the government. And uh, and they were uh, in the middle of that environment when the, they they took uh, as Christians, they obviously didn't take a side. They um, they. Um, if the government uh, army's people were injured, they uh, took care of them in the clinic. If the guerrillas were injured, they took care of them in the clinic. But in one certain situation, the uh, guerrillas had uh, uh, thrown, had attacked a, go- a government sh- uh, army ship that was on, or a boat that was on the river and injured a bunch of the government's army men. And they, of course, uh, some of them escaped and eventually showed up at the clinic. And they helped the ones they could, and four of them were seriously injured. And the son, with his plane, flew those four out to the government, or to the uh, yeah, to the army hospital. And the guerrillas, that was the that was the uh, uh, straw that broke the camel's back for the guerrillas. The guerrillas had accused them of being on the government side, and they always insisted they were they were they were here for the people. They were not on anybody's side. They were not involved in politics, and uh, that was a, a straw that broke the camel's back. And the guerrillas set themselves to destroy the missionary family from that point on. Uh, anyhow, it wasn't too much later uh, when. Uh, one night uh, at bedtime, uh, the uh, whole ar- a whole slew of guerrillas showed up and started uh, pulling stuff out of their houses and and just took everything out of their houses and uh, I, um, yeah took everything out of the houses. The, the people, the, the family, they all uh, came out as well. They they were not a fearful people. They they had relationships with. These people, some of them they knew, but they were guerrillas. They had to, they had to follow their leader's command, and and they uh, uh, they gathered all the stuff out of the house, and then they used the family's speedboat to take it downstream to their camp where they wanted it, and and they couldn't start the boat, so they got the one son to start it for him, and then they made him run it as well, and had to haul the stuff down from the whole host of things that went on there. Anyhow. Then when they had all the stuff out, uh, they started showing up with gas cans and started dumping gas over the buildings and started lighting them up one after the other and lit the plane, burned the plane, burned burned everything. And the the uh, uh, the uh, uh, cannery, the cannery had just been finished, hadn't been used yet, hadn't been used one time. It was just completed. And they burned and started the fires and everything else. And uh, they, uh, 
Then they went to the cannery and started trying to get a fire going in that. I just read a little excerpt from the book. <clears throat> so the guy's name was Elam, and when he saw them go to the cannery, he, he, uh, he decided it's, he's going to do his best to keep him from burning the cannery yet. So when he, he, he headed over that way and some of his family followed him, he says when he got there, got to the center, the canning center, Virgil's dirt bike was, in the, was on fire inside. They found buckets and started running back and forth from the river and tried to put the fire out, but it was useless. Each time they returned with another bucket, the fire was bigger. Finally, the fire got into the wood uh, and up into the rafters, And from there, it was out of control, and it was clear that it was futile. The canning center was lost. Elam dropped the bucket in his hand to the ground in exasperation and just stood there and watched, disbelieving, heartbroken. Why? 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 He hung his head, feeling as though all the strength had gone out of his body. You think that was a moment of discouragement. Their entire, that night, their entire compound, everything was burned to the ground. Everything. Everything they had built in probably 20 years or so. It represented so many things for the family. It was all burned to the ground. They were driven out of the country. They had 72 hours to leave. The guerrillas were going to take them out if they didn't leave. And the guerrillas tried hard to take them out. Uh, but God protected them. The question was, is, it discour- is discouragement sin? I'm going to say probably not initially. I'm going to say for, for this Elam, it was not sin because I know the rest of the story. Uh, he was one of those men who, much like the Apostle Paul, it took a lot to discourage him. Remember what Job said in the middle of his discouragement uh, at the end of the book of Job there. He says, I uttered things I understood not. Is discouragement sin? Initially, probably not. But depending on how we respond in that discouragement, it might become sin. In other words, in the middle of discouragement, Job recognized that he said things that really weren't well said, really weren't well put. And he repented of it. 
And that's where it probably gets, uh, that's where the big question is for us. Um, is it sin? Well, it can become sin, depending on how we respond, how we, uh, how we, what we do with it, how long we sit in it, um, and what we do while we're in it, what we say while we're in it. Those things can very well be sin, just like Job uh, acknowledges. Discouragement is real, just like it was for the characters we looked at and for this, uh, this missionary to Guatemala. <clears throat> and I think we're going to, yeah, we're going to be able to get through this. So how do we overcome discouragement? I'd like to take us to a psalm, Psalm 73. It's one that I, it's probably, it's one of my favorite psalms. Um, The psalm writer in Psalm 73, I'll just read the first few verses here for starts. He says, truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. Verse 2, but as for me, excuse me. As for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death. Their strength is firm. They are not troubled as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. And uh, I'll just read the rest of the context down to verse 17. Therefore pride compasseth them. About as chains, violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore, his people return hither and waters of a full cup are wrung out unto them, out to them. And they say, how doth God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the, in the world, and they increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain, and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say, if, if I, if I, say I will speak thus, behold, I shall offend against the generation of, the, of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. So the psalm writer here is reckoning with, uh, he's, he's seeing prosperity in the lives of the wicked, and he's seeing the, the godly uh, di- uh, disciplining themselves and chastening themselves and, and uh, to serve God and, and restraining themselves from, from wickedness and all these kind of things. And he's almost coming to the conclusion, or attempt, attempted to come to the conclusion that all of this, I've been doing is for nothing. Here the wicked just prosper and prosper and prosper. When he thought on it, it was too painful for me. And then verse 17 is the key verse. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. So how do we overcome discouragement? This uh, 
this this psalm gives us some insight into that. Um, you know, discouragement, generally, discouragement is rooted in the present. Um, so let's just... Uh, Let's just say that this is, and I'm not quite sure how to do this, I'm not an artist, but let's just say this is your eye, and uh, this is your view out here. So, discouragement is generally rooted in the present. Uh, we are generally seeing what is right before us, and what is right before us uh doesn't look pleasant and isn't pleasing and isn't satisfying and isn't whatever and so we are tended to discouragement just like that psalm writer he was observing he was noticing that the wicked seem to just do wickedly and there's there's no uh there's no um re- results no reward for their wickedness they just prosper and go on and here I am chastening myself he was looking at a pretty narrow scope at the moment and that's how, that's how uh, it, it generally is for us when, when we face discouragement. We are seeing a pretty narrow scope. And sometimes, you remember we said we don't see any light at the end of the tunnel? Sometimes it might even look like that. You know, it kind of closes in and we don't see anything. Uh, because it's just not a lot of hope. <clears throat> Our view is small. And to overcome, how to overcome discouragement, I think the first thing to recognize, the first thing is to recognize that our view is small. What we are seeing right now, the thing that is is discouraging us, is actually just a very small part of a much, 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 much larger picture of life. And we tend to, of course, in our lives, we tend to focus in on that current event, that thing that's right now, that thing that is affecting me right now and what I'm feeling right now. And we tend to not be able to go, or we find it hard to, at that point, see the bigger picture and put it in context of the bigger picture. So the first thing in overcoming discouragement is to recognize that our view is small, to own that and to uh, so that we can start to think of how to get beyond that small view. The second thing, uh, some of those situations may maybe it would just need some discussions with some people that it involves to give us a bigger perspective. Some cases that might be what would help us. Um, maybe whatever the situation is and what, whoever it involves, maybe if we had some conversation and, 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 and an effort to understand or hear more perspective, it might change our perspective and it might not feel so discouraging because we got more context to it. And then, of course, there's the whole uh, there's the whole thing of the uh, 
of the bigger context or the eternal, perhaps you would say. Uh, and we're just going to try to conclude this whole board. So there's uh, there's us, there's what we see, but there's also the big context of life. And that's the thing, if we're going to, and in this context of life is this, uh, this being that we call God. And if we are, if we, uh, if we're going to, uh, be successful in, uh, overcoming, uh, discouragement, we, we, we need to learn to see the bigger context in the situation. Um, I believe that's important. And recognize God's uh, sovereign hand in it all. <clears throat> like to read a couple of verses from Romans, and I'm going to read these in the ESV as well. Romans 8:22 to 28. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what they see. But if we hope for that we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And maybe I'll just make a comment here. You know, the context is a groaning world, a, a world and a reality of problems and difficulties, and we're groaning in the middle of it, waiting for it to give birth to the new life, uh, the eternal life, the eternal kingdom, the, the uh, uh, yeah, the uh, moving from time into eternity is the context that, we have here. So we wait with patience for it. We're in this uh, body and we're in the difficulties that life brings, but we're waiting patiently for the, for the next uh, uh, graduation to eternal life in the kingdom of Christ and God. Likewise, verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we... Do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Remember, we talked about uh, early, right on the beginning of the message, we talked about uh, uh, why art thou cast down, uh, why art thou disquieted within me? Groanings, groanings that can't be uttered. That we have, uh, here we have it in the New Testament. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And that is a key verse there, uh, that uh, as we endeavor to overcome discouragement, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And uh, that is probably where we at times find ourselves challenged to actually believe that. 
uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll own that challenge. It is times, uh, there are times when uh, life's circumstances and interactions with, with uh, uh, people can be so uh, difficult for us to process and appreciate that we have difficulty seeing God in the big picture and we can only see our small window. And to get beyond that can be challenging. But it's what, uh, it's, it's, if we really want to uh, find a long-term solution to discouragement, uh, I believe this is very pivotal. If we can always hold life and those present situations in the perspective of the big picture. And, uh, and, and recognize that all things, there is no wasted time with God, there's no wasted experiences, there's no, uh, there's no, uh, fluff with God. Um, God, and God isn't, isn't deterred by some other human being's error. Uh, he, He's he's God and he's he's uh, able to take any situation and work good out of it. Uh, For those of us who, as this scripture says, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I'd like to finish up the uh, the story of Elam in Guatemala uh, just a little bit yet. Uh, So Elam and his family left Guatemala Several days after that, everything was burned. Did not want to, but uh, needed to. They returned to the States for a year, and then after a year, returned back to Guatemala. What they discovered on their arrival back to Guatemala was that this Elam, Elam and his family had lived in the middle of that civil war for all the years of their ministry. And it was a burden on Elam's heart that somehow this this civil war could come to an end. What Elam didn't know when all his years of hard work were burned to the ground was that that was going to be the turning point to bring the end to that civil war. He didn't know that. He didn't see that at that point. You know what? God doesn't have to tell us why he's doing what he's doing. He doesn't have to tell us. He's not obligated to tell us why he's doing what he's doing. We are obligated to trust him. But he is not obligated to tell us ahead of time why he's doing what he's doing. When Elam got back to uh, the, the, the problem that festered for so long, in Guatemala from the late 60s to early 90s was that the guerrilla uh, movement was uh, finding, um, they were going around, they were going around, they were soliciting, they were evangelical, they were uh, soliciting the support of the peoples of their, of their uh, country, that they were the answer for their country. And they were uh, soliciting the support. And they were even in America soliciting the support of 
churches in America for their cause, saying that they were presenting themselves as the persecuted church and actually getting funds out of America to, to promote, to support their uh, guerrilla warfare. Uh, and this was a frustration to Elam for sure as a missionary knowing exactly what, uh, a lot of what was going on. But anyhow, when the guerrillas treated Elam and his family so brutally, it was the turning point where the local populace who had learned to love and appreciate Elam and everything they had done in their vast area of community that the support of uh, of uh, the local people in Guatemala turned away from it, drew the lines clear, and the people could finally see and understand that this guerrilla movement thing was a a problem, and they the people turned their support away from it, turned their support to the government, and the guerrilla movement thing was able was able to be brought to to not uh, to elimination, and the the country of uh, Guatemala has been thriving in the last uh, 15, 20 years with uh, tremendous growth and peace and infrastructure and, and lots of things. But Elam didn't see that that night when they burned his entire compound to the ground, burned the airplane, burned the canning uh, facility that hadn't canned one can of goods. He didn't see that at that point. The bigger picture You know, um, I'm just going, you know, it's tough. (laughs) I'm just going to be honest. It's tough when we're in the middle of something and it's so real and it's and our hearts are so taken up by it. It's tough to look beyond and see the bigger picture. But I believe the scripture calls us to that. And if we want to, uh, if we want to overcome discouragement. I believe it's one of the keys uh, to overcome discouragement or perhaps not get discouraged in the first place. That'd be a good thing too. Uh, But to be able to see the big picture uh, or to be able to trust God, to know that God is in the big picture. We don't see it. We don't understand it. And sometimes we probably go through life and never understand it. But we know that God is there, that God is not asleep, and that uh, and to take our to take our focus, to take our focus from the small picture into the the bigger picture of God and His His uh, purposes and His care and His love for for human beings. <clears throat> I'd like to close with uh, Philippians four. Verse 5 to 8, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Again, the encouragement is to guide our minds uh, beyond just what we're feeling right now. 
and guide our minds into things that are true and honest and pure and lovely and so forth. Uh, yeah, there it is, you know, just a practical, practical way that uh, we can. Uh, endeavor to overcome discouragement. All right, I think I'll wrap it up with that. If you are able, kneel with me and we will close with prayer. Father, we quiet our hearts before you again here today. Thank you for this assembly. Thank you for each one present. Thank you, Father, for your care for us. Thank you that we have the scriptures before us and we can open your word and and study it and endeavor to understand it and endeavor to make personal applications in our lives. Pray today again that uh, something that could have, was shared here could be a blessing, could be a help to us in our journey, could be a stepping stone. Father, bless each one. Bless those who may have listened in uh, that weren't able to be here. And Father, again, uh, continue to lead us on to spiritual growth and maturity in each of our lives. Thank you for your uh, care for us in that. We know that you desire it for us. You desire for us to uh, continue to grow. Again, Father, we also pray for uh, the many who are sick. We know there's some who are hanging uh, between life and death with COVID. Uh, Pray for them. Father, again, you are the one who is sovereign and overall. And we, uh, we submit ourselves under your hand in this matter also. But pray, Father, that you would uh, raise up the sick, Lord, according to your will. You would comfort those who are uh, standing around uh, the beds of their uh, sick loved ones. And, Father, that uh, we would uh, together continue to trust you in these matters, uh, casting our cares upon you, knowing you care for us, knowing that... Uh, uh, these things are not uh, uh, a surprise to you, what uh, we're facing uh, in these last couple of years here with this disease, Father. Again, Father, also thank you for our governments that allow us to gather for worship. Ask for your continued guidance in those who are in governments and that you would uh, continue to grant us this freedom, Lord, and that we would not uh, spurn the opportunity, but we would seize the moment Seize the opportunities and make good use of it, Lord, reaching out to those whom our lives touch. So, Father, again, commit our lives to you. Continue, Father, to lead us, to keep us, to bless us, to pour out your Spirit upon us, to enable us to walk worthy of you and your kingdom. Father, we ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.